Well, good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Church in the Valley. My name is Adam Groza, and it's my privilege this morning to deliver um, the sermon, and I'll be bringing God's Word uh, hopefully for the next couple of weeks just in service to the church. Um, It's my honor to be a part of the fellowship in this way, and I look forward to being with you in person, Lord Lord willing, uh, in the near future. Uh, Let me sort of begin by telling you a little bit about myself. I serve as Vice President of Enrollment and Student Services at Gateway Seminary, which the main campus is here in Ontario, California. I'm married to Holly this year. We celebrate, actually next month, we celebrate 20 years of marriage. We have four children, ages uh, 8, 10, 12, and 14, and they're all about to be sort of the next age. So we'll have 9, 11, 13, and 15 uh, very soon. In addition to being Vice President of Enrollment and Student Services and being pretty busy with a wonderful wife and four very active children, I also teach Intro to Philosophy at Cal Baptist University, and I'm an Associate Professor of Philosophy of Religion here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, In my spare time, I like baseball, I like to hike, um, I like to run, and I like to write. Uh, I have a book that's going to be coming out this summer called Faith Wins, Overcoming a Crisis of Belief. Um, So uh, it's great to be with you this morning. That's a little bit about myself. I look forward to getting to know more of you over the next couple of weeks. But this morning, let's turn our attention to God's Word. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 31 through 39, focusing in on verses 31 and 32. But we will uh, we will also be looking all the way through verse 39. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'm going to read this passage and then I'll open us up in prayer. And let me just encourage you to leave your Bibles open so that as um, as I proceed in the sermon, you can be able to see in your own Bible the things that I am talking about um, from God's word. So let me read for us from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the church in the valley. I pray for the brothers and sisters um, in their homes gathered watching this on their television screen or their computer screen or their phone. 
Father, even though we're not together physically, you are binding us together by the Spirit. In Christ, we are one new man. So I pray, Lord, that we would feel connected, even though we are apart. Father, I pray that even though times are uncertain, we would have a strong confidence in the gospel. Pray that your word would encourage us this morning. Increase our faith. Give us strong faith in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're in the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is a letter that Paul writes to a group of Christians in Rome uh, who he hopes to visit. It's a long letter, but it's a letter to these group of to this group of Christians, this church in Rome, and he wants to visit them, but until he can visit them, he wants to encourage them by reminding them of the gospel, the good news. That even though we are sinners, God, through Christ, through his death and resurrection, God saves sinners who look to Jesus and trust in him. And really, the message of Romans can be summarized in Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. And so this is the encouragement that Paul has for these Christians in Rome And by extension, this is the encouragement that God has for us this morning in 2020. There's a lot of things we have in similarity at this point in time with the church in Rome. Because the people to whom Paul is writing were living in difficult times. They faced persecution and hardship and famine and a lot of the types of things that Paul references in verses 38 and 39. They were facing hardships. They were facing death. Notice in our passage in verse 36, Paul references Psalm 44, where he says, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so Paul is not writing to Christians who just have it easy. Paul is writing to Christians who are facing trial and hardship and persecution. And he's saying to them, in the midst of all of this, Your hope should be in the gospel. Now, there's a reason that he needs to give them this message, and there's a reason why we need this message, because in times of trial and persecution and hardship, we tend to doubt God. We tend to doubt, God, you know, are are you with me? Do you love me? Are you for me? Have you left? Have you abandoned me? And maybe you've been wrestling with some of those uh, doubts, some of those uncertainties, some of those sort of spiritual anxieties. Maybe you're going through during this time what might be described as a crisis of faith. And in a crisis of faith, in a time of trial, in a time of hardship, in times in life where we are facing very real existential threats, Christians find comfort and solace and peace and security in the gospel by being reminded that in Christ God is for us. So that's really the big idea of this passage. The big idea of this passage is found in verse 31. Paul starts with a question, what shall we say to these things? And then he answers with a question. But let's let's talk about what he says first in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? What things is Paul talking about? Well, if you look over in your Bible at chapter 8, verse 1, if you just kind of flip over a a page for me, in Romans 8, 1, It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is really kind of a summary verse about the gospel. 
that if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, there is no more condemnation. There is no more judgment. Our sin used to separate us from God. We were God's enemies. And in Christ, we have become his children. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And the big idea of this passage is that God is for us. Notice that Paul asked a question. What shall we say to all these things? Can this be true? I mean, I mean, can we really know this for sure? And then Paul answers that question with the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul's not really asking a question. Paul is sort of using a rhetorical device in the Greek. This is really could be translated because God is for us. There's a certainty in this text, in this verse, that Paul is trying to communicate to his readers. In other words, you can know for sure that God is for us. That's the big idea of this passage. Now, in order to really understand how great this is, that God is for us, and in order for this to have its full encouraging effect in our lives during trials and hardships, I think what's required is that we shift our focus from what is immediate to what is ultimate. Life is filled with things that are immediate, but life also has as sort of a backdrop that which is ultimate. What is immediate is what you, you know, see and touch and taste and feel. It's the world of senses, and it's a world that's always changing. I mean, it's not all bad. There's a lot of great things in the world of the immediate. Think of the sound of rain hitting uh, the, the ground if you're on a walk. Think of the smell of the ocean. Think of uh, maybe we're home this morning, so maybe think of like the smell of your favorite uh, breakfast cooking. Those are all sort of things that are immediate. And the world of the immediate is part of God's gift to us. But it's always changing. And if you base your life on what is immediate, uh, your life is going to be filled with insecurity and anxiety and uncertainty and ultimately depression because your life was not meant to be based on what's immediate. There's got to be something underneath the world of the immediate, something that is ultimate, something that is unchanging, something that is secure. And it is that ultimate reality to which Paul is drawing our attention and the ultimate reality that gives stability to the world that is changing is the ultimate reality of God's love. God's redeeming love, which is the story of the gospel. God seeks and saves that which is lost, that ultimate reality that there is a God, that he is known, that in Christ he is revealed, that his covenant promises all come true, and that in Christ those who are his enemies can become his children. That amazing story of redemption, God's love is the, um, is the security, it is the ultimate truth upon which our lives can be built. And remember, Jesus tells the parable of the man who builds his, his house on the sand and the man who builds his house on the rock. Building your house on the rock means building your life on the promises and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul's inviting us to draw our attention away from what is immediate to what is ultimate. And what is ultimate is this message. God is for us in Christ through the good news of the gospel 
God is for us. He is working all things for his glory and for our good. And even when you can't see how it's all working, you can know that it is working for his glory and for our good. That's the promise. That's the hope of this passage. God's love is certain and secure. God is for us. So in the remainder of the message, I want to ask and then answer four questions. So four questions. I don't know if you're a a note-taking type, or maybe you uh, have like a sermon journal. Um, eventually, if, I, if I'm with you, I'd like to sort of give you a handout. But for right now, you might just want to jot these four questions down. The promise, the message is that God is for us. Now, here's four questions. Question number one, who is this for? Who is this message for? Question number two, how can it be true? I mean, it's really good news. How can this be true? Question number three, how do we know? Maybe you're kind of skeptically minded. Maybe you're a contrarian and maybe you kind of want to know, you know, how can how can we know this is true? And number four, can we be certain? Like how confident can we be in this promise? So those are the questions that I would like to uh, very briefly address and answer. So question number one, who is this for? God is for us. Paul says, which means this is an exclusive message. I want you to think back for a moment to your wedding. If you're married, surely you've been to a a wedding. You know, when you have a wedding, 20 years ago, my wife and I invited people to our wedding. Our wedding was in Northridge, California. We invited people to our wedding and we sent out a bunch of invitations and then people responded. And if they responded that they were coming then we planned this, uh, I think it was a pretty great wedding for them. We ordered cake for them. We arranged food for them. They got to pick, you know, probably chicken or fish or steak or whatever it was. But we purchased food for them. We, we purchased floral arrangements for them and cake for them. And we really arranged this amazing uh, wedding celebration party, not for just anyone in Northridge, not even just anyone in our life, but for those who had responded to the invitation. And listen, this morning, this promise that God is for us, this encouragement, this hope, is specifically for those uh, who have responded to the gospel invitation. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus If you are in Christ Jesus by faith, then there's no more judgment for you. Well, why? Because Christ took your judgment. If you've responded to the invitation of salvation, the free invitation of salvation, then this promise is for you. God is for you. He's for us. He's for everyone who responds to the gospel invitation. And listen, if you're watching this and you haven't responded to the gospel invitation, you can You can do that in your own home. Maybe you're watching this at someone's house and you weren't planning on this message, but you're hearing it and you're thinking, hey, the idea of um, being forgiven and being received by the God of the universe and embraced by his eternal love, that sounds pretty good. What do I have to do? The answer is look to Jesus Christ and be saved. Look to Jesus. Consider that his death and resurrection is for you. It's for any sinner who trust in Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, and you will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from judgment and sin into the kingdom of Christ, the beloved Son of the Father. 
So it's an exclusive message. Who's it for? It's for you if you are trusting in Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Well, the second question is, how can it be true? Who's it for? It's for anyone who believes. But how can it be true? Have you ever had one of those experiences in life where something was just too good to be true? I remember some time ago there was like an email scam that went around and, you know, you'd get an email and it would say, congratulations, um, someone, a prince or a princess in Africa has died and left you, you know, their hundred million dollar estate. Uh, you didn't know them, but never mind. All we need is your bank account number and authorization. And we'll be happy to put all of this wealth into your account. And you sort of read this um, email and, you know, you don't have to be Columbo or Monk or Sherlock to know uh, this is a scam. Some things are just too good to be true. And when you hear this gospel message that the gospel is the power of God into salvation, that we can go from being God's enemies to being God's friends, that we can be confident of God's eternal, unchanging love and grace, and there's no more condemnation, no more judgment if we will just put our faith in Jesus. Maybe in times like this, hard times, difficult times, you can think, you know, is this all a fairy tale? Is this too good to be true? Is this just, um, is this just a story? Is this like Freud said? Is this just wishful thinking? Is this just a crutch? Well, Paul answers that. He says in verse 32, you'll want to look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the reality is something historical, something objective happened 2,000 years ago that gives you all the confidence you need to know that this message of God's unchanging love is true. It's the rock upon which we can build our lives so that when the winds come and the storms come, uh, the house of our life, our, our, our faith, our certainty in what is ultimate will not be destroyed because God did something at the cross that forever changed the relationship of those who trust in Christ with the triune God of the universe. Notice it says he did not spare his own son. Uh, this is referencing the, tri the triunity of God. The father did not spare the son. The son goes willingly to the cross. And on the cross, he takes the wrath that we deserve for our sins so that we can receive his righteousness and his holiness. On the cross, Jesus didn't pay for his sin because he was sinless. On the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. And, you know, maybe as you've been at home, maybe you've fallen back into some sin patterns and maybe you're discouraged because you think, uh, you know, I've, I've blown it too many times. I, I've, I've done something um, or I just I just there's no way that God could forgive me. And let this verse just really provide all the encouragement you need. Um, God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The father gave the son as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus on the cross paid the price for our sins. And so you can look to Jesus, even if you're discouraged and you're stumbling or you're falling. And maybe your life is just really not what it should be. You can trust in Christ and know that he paid the penalty for your sin, and that can give you confidence that in Christ 
you have the irrevocable, certain, ultimate love of the Father. In Christ, God is for you. How can it be true? Well, not because of anything you did. It's not because of your consistency. It's not because of your giving. It's not because of your attendance. It's because Jesus Christ went to a cross for you. And that historical objective fact, let alone the fact of the resurrection that three days later he came out of the tomb. These are not fairy tales. These are real things that happened in a real time and a real place. And they give us all the confidence we need to know that this amazing message that God is for us can be true because Christ paid the price for our sins. You see, the cross is not just about our salvation. It's about our assurance. Our assurance of salvation is the cross, just as the source of our salvation is the cross. This is the reason that the cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott talks about the fact that every religion has a symbol. I mean, you know this. Like, think of the coexist sign, you know. Um, Taoists have the uh, the Tai Chi, and Jews have the Star of David, and uh, Muslims have the Crescent, and Christians have the cross. Because it's at the cross where God offers up his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. So that by looking to Jesus on the cross, just like the Jews in the wilderness looked to the serpent that was lifted up, so by looking at the cursed thing, they can be saved by looking at Christ who is cursed for our transgressions, who becomes sin for us, by looking to Christ as our Savior, our Messiah, we can be saved totally forever. And our sins are, are cast as far as the east is from the west. So how can we know? We can know because Christ took our place on the cross and absorbed in his death and in his resurrection our punishment and he defeated sin and death. That's how we can know. That is the strongest evidence, the strongest assurance that is possible. And so we can build our lives upon that. Well, number three, God is for us. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for, for us? God is for us. This, is, this means that we have a hopeful future. I know that right now with the pandemic and with, um, you're probably like me, you look at the news, you know, probably more than you should even. Um, you're kind of wondering, you know, what does the future hold? I mean, uh, what a time to be living. What, what's going to happen next week, next month? And I don't have any special insights, but I do know that the hope, the future for a Christian is filled with hope and it is filled with ultimately all the blessings of Christ. So if you look at verse 32, notice it says, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. And so what this means is that in Christ, we receive all of the blessings that the Father has to bestow on the Son. Jesus Christ has a kingdom, and through Christ, we also receive that kingdom. Jesus Christ has access, and through Jesus, we have that access. Jesus Christ is holy, and through Christ, we have that holiness and that righteousness and all the blessings of heaven are ours in Christ. Let me read another verse. You can jot this down. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I mean, unlike that 
fake email that went out saying that I inherited some money from somebody, that email scam. The Bible is telling us that in Christ, the Father has bestowed on us all the eternal blessings of heaven in Christ. They are ours. We possess them even as we possess Christ by faith. And notice that the word here for um, when it says he will graciously give us all things, or your Bible might say he will freely give us all things. Um, the, the ultimate promise here is that in Christ we receive total and complete forgiveness. That word give us all things freely really comes from that word grace. And it really is drawing our attention back to Romans 8.1, that in Christ there is no judgment. In Christ there is grace. In Christ there is forgiveness. Even if you in your family and like in my family, you're in close proximities, you're not, you're maybe in conflict and you're feeling guilty about maybe the way you've been treating each other. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is grace in Christ and not just once or twice, but there is total grace and total forgiveness. Now, this doesn't mean that we get all the blessings of heaven now. Of course, there's a lot of television health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that want to try to pad their own pockets by getting people to send in money with the promise that if you, you know, just show enough faith that you'll get more and more. But the reality is Christians suffer and get sick and lose their job and lose their income. And we die just like other people do because we live in a fallen world. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you get a free pass from suffering. In fact, if anything, being a Christian means that you might experience suffering more than if you weren't a Christian. And again, Paul is writing to people and he says to these people, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul lived a life filled with hardships. The Christians in Rome lived lives filled with hardships. Christians down through the ages have lived lives filled with trials and hardships. And we are tasting some of those trials and some of that hardship, but it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. In fact, our eternal security and the eternal blessings of Christ are secure for us through faith in Christ. And what this means is not that we get it now. It means that the worst thing that can happen to us is that we die and then we enter into the immediate presence of God and we see the triune God in the face of Christ. And it means that Christ has secured for us eternal life, total forgiveness, and all the blessings of the kingdom that he will deliver on that great and glorious day that the Bible describes. So what does it mean? It means that you should be optimistic about the future because if you belong to Christ, you can look with confidence and courage and with boldness towards the future knowing that you belong to Christ and that the kingdom of Christ belongs to you through faith. Christ has secured it for us. Remember, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's preparing an eternal, heavenly, glorious dwelling for us to inhabit forever. And this should be a tremendous source of comfort. This should make us want to reach out to our neighbors, want to show love, want to show mercy, want to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord, because as it says, God didn't spare his son, but will freely give us all things. So it means that we have a hopeful future. 
Well, number four, how can we be sure? How can we be sure? I'm, I'm willing to guess that you, like me and everyone else, has experienced in life people that say they'll be there and then they're not. People that say, um, make promises and then break them. Um, you know, we live in a world where there's a lot of letdown, a lot of abandonment, and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of insecurity because we live in that kind of a world. But God always keeps his word. God never lies. God is unchanging. God is true to all of his promises. And one of the beautiful things about this passage is that this declaration that God is for us comes with this really amazing level of certainty. We can be certain that God will be true to his promises to be for us and not against us, to be forgiving and gracious and eternally welcoming to us, that his redemptive love is a, is a sure foundation upon which we can build our lives. And let me just point out a few things. You know this passage. Notice what it says in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge? Notice it says any charge. I mean, there's no charge that can be brought against God's elect. God's elect are those who have put their faith in Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to this group called God's elect. Those who have been given the gift of faith, who are turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. And we're not perfect, but we are pursuing a life that is honoring to the Lord. If you are trusting in Christ and seeking to live consistently with that profession, the, the, the confident certainty is that no one can even bring a charge against God's elect. Why? Because Christ took upon himself the payment for that sin or that struggle or that stumble or that, um, that area of your life that you still have a hard time bringing unto the, under the obedience of Christ's lordship. No one can even bring any charge. Verse 34, no one can condemn us. Who is it to condemn? The answer is there's no one to condemn. Um, this is this is really an amazing uh, promise because the only person that could condemn is God. And the God of the universe has poured out his wrath for our sins on Christ. And because Christ died and defeated sin and death on the cross and in the empty grave, there's no one to charge. There's no one to condemn. The judge has become the savior. The savior has become the sacrifice. And so the beautiful thing is the only person in the universe that has the right to judge has already pardoned because he shed his own blood for our sins. So there's total certainty that there can be no charge and no condemnation. And then in verse 35, who can separate us? And of course, this is this amazing passage. It's as if Paul is thinking of anything in the universe, anything above or below, anything seen or unseen, heights or death, uh, depth, tribulation, distress, famineness, nakedness. He's literally thinking of anything he can think of. He's listing anything he can think of that could possibly separate us from God's love. Anything that might possibly mean that God is not for us. And he lists them all and he says, no, in all of these things. Look at verse 37. No. Whenever you think of something, something scary, some tragedy, some hardship, and you think, would that, would that mean I'm separated from God's love? Would that cause me to fall out of the saving hand 
of the Father? Would, would that sin, would that stumble, would that fall, would that trial, would that hardship, would that mean that God is left, that he doesn't love me, that he's abandoned me? And Paul's answer unequivocally in verse 37 is no. In all these things, in everything, in any circumstance, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this declaration of God's love is a reminder of the cross. The cross is where we find salvation. The cross is where we find assurance. And listen, brothers and sisters, if you for one second are questioning whether or not God loves you, remember the cross. Remember that the Father did not spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. And how will he then not freely give us all things? Does God love you? Yes. How can I know Because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. And God's certain redemptive promise, his ultimate love, is absolutely guaranteed. Remember Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd guards the sheep. He protects the sheep. And on the day of judgment, he will deliver all of those who have trusted in him, all of his sheep, into the eternally safe rewarding hands of the father and he will perfectly protect us until then he will perfectly preserve us until then and on the day of his choosing at the time of his choosing and in the way of his choosing when we go to stand before him we will be presented as his children not because of what we've done but because of what he has done for us on the cross so this is an amazing message It was an amazing message for those in Rome under trial and persecution, and it's an amazing message for us under a stay-at-home directive in 2020. What's the message? Don't miss it. God is for us. If you've trusted in Christ, we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him, and he will lose none of us. How can we be sure? Because he didn't spare his son. And this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If Jesus didn't spare his son, then he will withhold no good thing from you. Even when you're struggling, even when you can't see it, even when things don't make sense, you have to trust by looking at the cross, by remembering the gospel, and letting it do its powerful work in transforming our minds and our hearts and our perspective from what is immediate to what is ultimate. God is for us. What does it mean? It means that we have a bright future because Christ has secured for us all the blessings of heaven. They are all ours waiting for us on the day when we are united with Christ for eternity. And can we be certain? Yes. Nothing will separate us. Nothing will cause us to fall out of the Father's hand. Nothing anyone does, no trial, no famine, No disease will separate us from God's love. Not even you can separate yourself from God's love. Jesus says the promise of the Bible is that he who began a good work will see it to completion. And if you began a good work, if you've seen God work in your life, if you've trusted in Christ, then he is going to bring about um, on that glorious day the final uh, work of salvation in your glorification when you are united with Christ and all of his people. And until then, we can be bold and confident and we can look out for each other and not be concerned with ourselves because we are confident in the ultimate truth 
that God is for us. So let me close this in prayer. And then um, I'll look forward to being with you in the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tremendous promise. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. I pray that you would use it to encourage your people. Lord, I pray that this gospel truth would bring unity to families, would bring peace in marriages, would bring greater grace and kindness and understanding. I pray, Lord, that it would work against our depression and our anxiety and our discouragement. Lord, enable us by your spirit to shift our focus from what is immediate to what is ultimate. And what is ultimate is that you have chosen to love us in Christ and nothing will ever change your love for us. We thank you by the spirit in Jesus name. Amen.